You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 172. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Sarah Duval, and we're talking all about how to help women manage life and movement. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services, and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson. And if this is the first time you're hanging out with me, I'm super pumped that you're here. Welcome. As you can tell from the audio quality inside of this podcast, number one, I'm currently in Florida and I would really, really tried to record this podcast intro before I left. However, I didn't have a voice and still, even now, it's not really that great. So I won't blah, blah, blah at you for too long, especially since this incredible core exercise specialist doesn't need any introduction because truly Dr. Sarah Duval is an incredible human and person and it was such a an amazing opportunity to connect and talk with her, which I hope you hear when you listen to the end of this episode, because honestly, we laughed, we shared. She is absolutely brilliant and exceptional, and she truly raises the industry standards when it comes to helping specifically women in in their life and in their movement, and you'll hear that inside of this episode. So Dr. Sarah is a wife, mom, she is an adventure sports athlete, and an incredible women's health and fitness specialist. She's the founder of Core Exercise Solution, a center for continuing education and online programs. She is passionate about empowering individuals to learn and grow in their own journey of healing. And when she's not hanging off the side of a mountain, she's writing and presenting at coreexercisesolutions.com and helping her patients figure out how they can continue to pursue their dreams and lead strong, adventurous lives. So she is an incredible human. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode because she truly is inspirational to me and to the women and the people that work with women. She truly is inspirational to me and to the hundreds of professionals that she has coached and helped them help more women move and get better and live better lives. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. What's up, Sarah? Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm doing great, Beverly. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. I'm really excited for today. You are a genius. I've been following your work for a while and I have just seen how you have continuously been able to raise the industry standard in terms of women's health specifically. So I'm super excited to get into today's conversation. Oh, well, thanks. And I do not think I am a genius at all. I think (laughs) that I can take other geniuses, very complex 
topics and discoveries and make them easy to understand. I think that is my superpower. <laughs> I love that. And that is really, that is a hard skill for a lot of people. So I can't wait to get into it today. So for those of you who are tuning in and have not seen Sarah's work, I'd love for you, Sarah, to share with us a little bit about who you are, who you serve and how you got there. Absolutely. So I started out as a personal trainer in 1999 and then went to physical therapy school and graduated in 2005 from PT school and went back in 2008 and got my doctorate. I always knew I wanted to be a physical therapist from the time I was 12 because of volunteering in the hospital. Really? I had nothing to do with sports. Yes. I just loved helping people. I loved connecting and I did not like uh, being on the cancer ward. That was my first volunteer was filling water pitchers, you know, as a little candy scraper on the cancer floor. And I just could not handle it. And granted that was the age of 12. I'm sure as an adult, that would be very different. Um, but that led me to wanting to volunteer on the PT wing and as a candy striper and, uh, led me to loving the PT that was at our hospital system and falling in love with it and wanting to become a physical therapist. So it was uh, from a very young age, which is fun. That's amazing. Yeah. I think most people end up in physical therapy because of sports or some other interest. And then I went on and I was a division two athlete for Clemson. I was a pole vaulter and had many, many injuries. So that solidified my desire to become a PT. Um, and then I had babies and was mm. still a fairly high level athlete. Um, so that uh, pushed me into women's health because I was having trouble fixing or getting my issues fixed and knew that there could be more out there for higher level um, athletic women that wanted to, you know, pursue things aggressively and have their body work for them after having kids. Okay. So I definitely want to dive into your experience there. Cause I can relate in terms of, you know, I got pregnant when I, in 2015, right? I'm thinking of my eldest Gwen. She was born in October. So it was 2015 that I got pregnant. And even then, which is not that long ago, there was such a huge gap of information for women. And I think that for me too, that it was not, not necessarily just the gap is that it just was never in my context, mm -hmm. even though I was working and training with moms which yes. back then, thank God humans are resilient. So and when you got 13, which was even, you know, just a few years yeah. sooner, but still, I felt like there was nothing. Yeah. So at tw in 2013, when you got pregnant, you were, were you already a doctor or 2012? Yeah. Were you already a doctor? Were you a PT at the time? Yeah. I graduated with my, from PT school in 2005 and my doctor oh, in 2008. Yeah. So, so I've been you're an athlete and you're practicing and you're pregnant, right? So mm -hmm. what happened? Can you share us a little bit what happened? Oh, well, the, my first pregnancy was very interesting. I, my husband lost his job, so I was under a lot of stress. And I think the stress contributed to a lot of what I experienced. I started having um, contractions that led to dilation. Um, and so basically I was going into early labor at 19 weeks and oh. my doctor freaked out and put me on bed rest. <laughs> So, um, so that was fun. Um, not fun. And then he ended up finding a job. We moved when I was eight months pregnant. I sold my PT practice. I had like a practice and a physical building and everything. And I had the most amazing PT that bought it. She's incredible. Um, 
and has continued it and it's still going to this day, which is kind of fun. Uh, so yeah, I had a, I did not really work out a whole lot during my first pregnancy because I got put on bed rest fairly early and I was doing, I was wakeboarding a lot back then doing cable park stuff, kiteboarding, and those are not really pregnant conducing sports to somebody with my worry level. I know there are women that pull it off, but I just was terrified of hitting the water hard. Uh, and so I stopped most of my athletics and just picked up a little bit of running and things like that while you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my Which gosh. I can see Are- low level. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not um, even doing anything very hard physically. So. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Okay. My so I was fine with that. She was, you know, even way back then she was just like, yeah, run, just don't get overheated in the first trimester was her only advice for me. Okay. Amazing. So then now you're on bed rest and then you had the baby and then what happened? Uh, and then I started back into rock climbing because we've moved to Virginia and uh, that was fun and, you know, exciting because I was really out of shape. And I think there is some benefit to being on bed rest versus being in shape. And I know that sounds silly to say, but I wasn't able to start out hard. I literally had nothing because I, had, I was so rested after my second I could do whatever I wanted because I'd stayed in such great shape. I climbed, I rock climbed through my entire second pregnancy mm-hmm. and I stopped, I think about three weeks before I was born because I was getting pubic symphysis pain uh, because climbing is very like put your foot up really high and pull with your adductor. And I just reached a point of, you know, pelvic instability where that did not feel comfortable anymore. Uh, but I was in such good shape. I definitely did too much postpartum after my second because I felt great. And so I think there is some danger to staying in really good shape through pregnancy because you're, you had the baby and then you're just like, the rest of my body feels really great. And your pelvic floor is like, well, I need a little bit more time than you're giving me to recover or your C-section needs a little more time. So for me, the first postpartum was very easy in the fact that I would try to go for a walk and I could barely walk down the street and back because I hadn't walked in months. So it got me really low level. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting take on it, having had dramatically different uh, pregnancies. So this is amazing, actually, because it kind of leads me to this one, this myth that I think we hear both in pregnancy and postpartum, which is listen to your body where, you know, your body knows what it means. No, no, no. The second time I would tell my, if I could go back and tell myself, I would say, do not listen to your body. Your body is wrong. (laughs) I wanted to go work out and I wanted to do stuff and I wanted to climb and I felt great and it was not good at the time. And I think it additionally contributed to the prolapses that I experienced postpartum by doing too much too soon because you're in this great healing window and I'm happy to share I'm a very good person um, about that because I know a lot of postpartum women that are athletes deal with prolapse and it's not something that's always talked about Um, but yeah so I think it it, you're in this great kind of healing window postpartum and I think I'd made things worse I took what was a grade one prolapse and I pushed it into a grade two because I did too much too soon Oh my gosh. Okay. So, you know, this also is, I'm there, I have so many things to ask you. So there is just such a really good point in terms of, you know, remembering to, and this is, you know, for you and for your clients, when they're telling you that, you know, they feel great, mm-hmm. it's that they're, the body is complex and people don't know what it is that they don't know. And so one part of their body might feel really great in that healing component, but then there's a whole other you know, pelvic floor component, even for people who have had C-sections. Yes. The pelvic floor spreads. You have the same similar like preparation for birth. 
and spreading of the pelvic floor that can increase your risk of prolapse during pregnancy. So pregnancy itself is a risk, which if I am honest, thinking back, I described prolapse symptoms to my midwife while I was pregnant. And she's like, oh, oh, that's fine. She's like, oh, that's, that's, you know, I haven't heard that before, but oh, it's, it's fine. Whatever. Let's not worry about it. Was, this is so, your second pregnancy or yeah, first? So this is my second. And I did not do internal checks on myself. Like I should have to monitor it better. Um, and if you're not going in to see a pelvic floor PT, if something feels funny, like go get, go get somebody to check you. Um, and I should have just stayed on top of it more. And I didn't, I dropped the ball. Cause it's like, I don't know, you know how it is, you know things and you take care of other people. But when it comes to taking care of yourself, sometimes you're just like, Meh. it's, you know, I had a toddler, <laughs> I was pregnant. Like, it's just, I was running a business. I was trying yeah. to like stay in shape. Like these are just too many things on somebody's plate. So what I'm also curious about too, in that, and we can, um, I, you know, I'll ask you to unpack it is, is what's interesting to me is I had a friend who was pregnant and I sent her, she was talking about prolapse symptoms. She was talking about how she was feeling pain in her pelvis. And I said, just go to the PT now, just go to the yeah. pelvic floor PT. And they turned her away and said, no, oh, no, 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 come after, Oh, go find a different after PT. pregnancy. Go find a different PT. I mean, there's plenty <laughs> of great pelvic floor PTs that help women prepare for birth, teach them how to push, make sure pelvic floor muscles are relaxed, like just find a different PT. I know, but it was just surprising to me that even, and this was not that, I mean, that was, this was 20, that was 2019. So it's just interesting to me that, and it's an important reminder that not all PTs are equal, not all personal trainers are not all contractors, not all, I mean, you know, you just name every profession, every profession across the board has, you know, we all know what we know because of our life experience and then what we've chosen to study. Yes. And this is also very different diversity within that. Absolutely. And this is also why it's so important too, for a lot of new coaches, I I think out there too, when, as they're pursuing different certifications and wanting to learn more, they get into this. And I know I did is this, this habit of thinking, oh, you know, I don't need to do that because there's so many other people that are doing Mm -hmm. it. Why not me? And that's just, we get stuck in our context box and it's literally 1% of people. Mm -hmm. And of the, of the profession. So I just think that continuing to educate yourself is just so important to the masses. It doesn't matter how many people are doing it in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No, yes, I agree completely. I would like to add one thing about the whole prolapse story though. Please I, do. Sure. I had a grade two prolapse, meaning you could see it visually from outside the pelvic floor. And I um, worked really hard on healing it. It was not caused by tightness. I know there's Like the biotensegrity model is a very popular thing now. And I treat a lot of women that had prolapse due to tightness. So they fit within that biotensegrity model. So I think it's a very good model. And I do think it applies to a lot of people, but I don't think there is anything in the entire world that applies to everyone. And so this is, you know, no different. I didn't have any pelvic floor tightness. I just had stretch fascia. I'm one of those kind of lax ligament people genetically, my entire family, everybody has a hernia, like grandmother had a hysterectomy. Like I should have seen that coming. <laughs> like, how many fossil injuries do you need in a family tree? I know. And, oh my gosh. You know, Sarah, so also, mind, also, as you know, in, while you're backing up, can you just unpack a little bit about what prolapse is specifically yes, and how so we can start? One of the questions that I love for strength coaches to ask 
the new moms or the current moms are working with is, do you have any family history of hernias? Prolapse isn't always talked about. And that's when your pelvic organs start to descend in to your vagina and out. And so you might hear about hernias more because they're not kind of taboo. People will talk about them um, or, um, you know, having a hysterectomy can also be a sign, um, depending on why the hysterectomy was performed, you know, was it performed because of uterine prolapse is so, um, prolapse is basically think about it just like diastasis, you know, it's just an opening or like a stretching or thinning of the fascia where we have some give and, um, generally prolapse in the pelvic floor is made worse by bearing down. And so a lot of athletes will do a bracing out strategy where they bear down. Like this is really common in the athletic world. You can even think you'll see guys lifting with a weight belt on. And if they have on like a tight shirt, you might even see a little hernia poking out right above the waist belt, because that is a point where that pressure is leaving their body. And so for women, we have more vulnerability in our pelvic floor than guys do because of the nature of our pelvic floor and how it's more open to get out a baby. And so if you have a strategy of bearing down, which I did, which took me forever to fix because I would only bear down in sports where I was not focused. I was fine lifting weights. I could deadlift. I could, you know, do whatever the weight lift, leaving the weight room always made me feel great. But, um, you know, sports are another story because there's just a lot going on. Uh, so retraining those habits. So anyway, for coaches, one thing I would recommend always asking is what's your family history like? especially if you're dealing with somebody pregnant or postpartum, because then that might give you clues like, okay, maybe we need to be a little more careful. Maybe we really do need to be mindful. Are you bearing down at all? What are your strategies? Um, how are you loading the fascia in your body at the vulnerable points like your linea alba, like your pelvic floor? And then that way you can keep them safe because I feel like prevention is a long way mm -hmm. um, for not making things worse. And um, I do believe that fascia in some cases, and not all cases, but in some cases can heal and heal quite well. Um, I have seen lots of women resolve their prolapse. I've seen even more women, women resolve their diastasis. Um, it just, fascia takes a long time to remodel. I mean, you're looking at sometimes years. So I usually tell people, give us a minimum of a year um, to really see fascial remodeling. Now, sometimes you'll see that like spontaneous healing. That's nah, probably more of like, let's connect some muscle and, you know, you're fixing breathing and things are just kind of coordinating. So you can get that spontaneous coordination that then makes things firm up or come together, respond well in the pelvic floor, you decrease tightness that can instantly make a prolapse appear better if it was caused by tightness. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to think about it as an accordion. So, you know, as you pull out on accordion, the walls flatten mm -hmm. and as you squish in the walls bulge, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about the pelvic floor, if we pull it tight, we're going to make the walls bulge. Okay. And so then generally that will make that aha moment for a woman who's dealing with tightness with prolapse symptoms. It's just like, oh, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So okay. um, to put that like a happy ending on my personal story, I just went and had my physical um, earlier this year. And I asked my doctor to check to see how my prolapse was doing because I can check, but I wanted that independent, like, tell me what you think. Cause I think I'm doing quite well. And she's <laughs> like, I don't, she, she had me bear down as hard as I could. And she's like, there is absolutely no visible prolapse at all. And internally she checked and she's like, I don't feel any prolapse internally. And I was just like, yes, 
that is awesome. You know, so I just, there's a lot of stuff out there where prolapse can't heal. And I do think you have to have the right environment, um, which is not always in your control. I think genetics does play a role in that. And so I think we have to give that the space that it that it demands, you know, because even if you do everything right, um, sometimes there's just too much fossil damage, sometimes genetics, but nutrition, sleep, stress, doing the right exercises, the right amount of loading to stimulate remodeling, not too much, mm-hmm. not too little. I feel like people want to rest and don't mm-hmm. strain and don't stress when they're dealing with things with, like that. And the body needs, um, it, it needs that stimulation to remodel. And I think a lot of times we're scared to stimulate enough. I love that. So now I, I do have some <laughs> questions regarding, yes. you know, how you, de- how you define athletic, right? So what I think is very exciting in our time now is that there are a lot of people and women specifically who are actually of an athletic environment and they have an athletic mind, but yet they might not even consider themselves an athlete yet. So I'm curious, you know, you bring up such a huge, uh, you, you bring up such a really good point when you talk about how they're do really well in the weight room. Like even if they're, your client is seeing you three times a week, that's three hours out of 160 ish week or hours in the day. So how do you define, and for people training moms, like how do you define what an athlete is and how their everyday activity is affecting their prolapse or potential? Yeah. So sometimes that every day, how they sit at their computer and make it a lot worse and they feel great after their workout. So I would probably define somebody wanting to pursue a little bit above average. Like if you go to the gym and you do the elliptical for 20 minutes and then you maybe do bicep curls with the pink weights and then you walk out of the gym, I don't, you know, I don't really think that pushes us into the athlete category, but I think women who are going hard or what they would consider hard for their body and kind of pushing that envelope and staying on the, you know, I might not be able to get out five more reps. I'm stopping when I only have two left. Like, so they're moving heavy weight for what their body can handle or they're pursuing, maybe they signed up for that 5k and they've never run more than a half mile. So now they're in a training plan. Mm-hmm. I consider that to be when we cross over that threshold of I'm somebody who walks around the neighborhood to I'm now an athlete. Okay. I love that. And then also too, you know, what about moms who are, are, you know, dealing with this with their second baby and they're chasing around a toddler and I mean, <laughs> laughing or a preschooler and picking them up and then having, you know, yes. there's athletic components to just being mm-hmm. a parent that they might not necessarily really have done previously. The biggest danger to prolapse and hernias getting worse is being weak. Mm-hmm. I mean, the worst thing you can do is tell a woman prolapse to stop lifting weights because then her kid is going to get heavier and she's going to get weaker and then exponentially more pressure management problems that happen. So the stronger somebody is, the better able they're going to be able to manage their pressure and their life mm-hmm. and carrying in the groceries, picking up the kid, like you've got to have strong muscles. Yeah. And I know for coaches, it's really scary because the first thing, I mean, the first thing they want to do, if their client says, Hey, I have a prolapse, they're like, okay, well, let's just not do anything. Yeah. So it can be really scary to navigate that. One trick that I have for coaches that I love to use is if they feel comfortable touching somebody, they can touch them. Or if they're not comfortable or they're, you know, wherever they're coaching, it's not allowed. Um, Cause I work with coaches all over the world and I'm surprised at how different um, regulations are. 
you can have the client do it. But if you just take your fingers, place them right inside your ASIS, so like the front of your pelvis, um, go right inside there. And if that area, those lower abs, if they flatten a little bit when effort is being given, then your pelvic floor is almost always safe. Okay. If that oh area, my gosh. I did not are, know that. Yeah. So it's so, it's so easy to see if somebody's bearing down. So you're just like, yeah, go and do that overhead press. Let me watch what your lower abs are doing. If their lower abs flatten a little bit, when they press overhead, tell them keep pressing overhead all day long, probably go up and wait. Not a problem for their pelvic floor. If that's a great way to check if somebody is not in tune with their pelvic floor, but I highly recommend go in and see a pelvic floor PT. If they're not in tune with their pelvic floor, figure out what bearing down feels like. And then they just own it everywhere when they're getting the car seat out, when they're putting the stroller in the back of the car, you know, they can then really own it. Um, but that if they don't know, tip. that's like, you just blew drink. my mind with that. Tip. Oh yeah. I almost like did not even know that because that's like one of the big questions too, is like, it's so, you know, sometimes people are bearing down and they don't even know it. So I was yeah. one of those people that had an in incredibly tight pelvic floor and didn't even mm -hmm. know it. Yeah. Cause you were probably bearing down and then your pelvic floor was countering the pressure. Whereas I didn't counter anything. My pelvic floor is just like, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, for less. So, you know, I mean, we often aren't, even if you teach it to other people, you often aren't aware of it unless you spend just a critical amount of time obsessing over it. Mm, yeah. Okay. So you also talked about the different grades in prolapse. So can you talk a little bit about what those grades are in terms of, you know, when is surgery, when, how, when do we need to start having, and I know that it's going to be different, but you know, I'm just curious, like what are some of the baseline metrics that you are measuring with your patients and your clients? So most, most low level prolapses are not a problem. Um, it will often bother women emotionally. And so then they'll want surgery more for the emotional kind of impact of like, oh, I have prolapse, but most prolapses low levels, like grade one and grade two are not an issue um, as far as needing surgery per se, usually um, I, women will often have surgery, but then still leak after or still have pain after. Um, so it doesn't fix what they think it's going to fix. And I think a lot of women confuse prolapse and tightness. Mm. So they think the surgery will fix their pelvic floor tightness because all their symptoms are related to pelvic floor tightness. Maybe they're leaking, maybe they have deep butt pain, maybe they have pain on penetration, you know, and they think it's the prolapse and it has nothing to do with the prolapse and everything to do with the tightness of the pelvic floor. Because often when women feel that prolapse, they feel that bulge, it feels uncomfortable. So they try to pull it up. And then that compounds their tightness and makes their symptoms worse. Then they feel more bulgy because they've been tightening their pelvic floor. Wow. Okay. So you start also started to talk about, um, you know, some of the symptoms. So how, what are some of the, and, and I'm also curious too, in terms of, you know, time of the postpartum timeline. So like you were saying, fascia can take years to, yeah. to, you know, r restore. So, and yet we're all heard like six weeks, six weeks oh, yeah. and you can go <laughs> back to your whole life, blah, blah, blah. So some of these like prolapse symptoms, you know, I, I remember working with a mom who was three years postpartum and hadn't dealt with this and was still managing symptoms. So I'm just curious, like in terms of when some women the manage them their entire lives, yes. like it's it, it, some of, sometimes my goal is healing, complete healing for people. And sometimes my goal is to get them back doing whatever they want without their prolapse getting worse. And that can be a major win. 
So it just all depends, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing. I mean, we look at research on diastasis, right? What is it like 60% of women have a DR and what is it like six weeks and then 30% at six months or 10 months or something. So when we look at fascia healing across the board, I mean, for everything, it just takes a really long time. Um, but I do think there's a sweet spot um, mm-hmm. really early on where our pelvic floor and our abdominal wall is very vulnerable to getting worse. So I've had a lot of patients where they have gone to some mommy baby boot camp class and maybe their initially their diastasis was, you know, three finger widths and, you know, maybe down to the first knuckle. So it really wasn't that bad. And then they go and do these hard abdominal exercises, you know, right at six weeks postpartum. And then their diastasis just opens and deepens and they do more fascial stretching, which would be the same thing of, you know, you can have same thing to happen to the public floor. Um, so I feel like in those early days, we're really vulnerable to um, making that fascia where it's like, okay, I just got stretched out. I just had a lot of given me. Now, what do I do? Do I come back? Oh, you're pushing lots of pressure on me and bulging me out more. Okay. I guess I need to stay out more. So it's, I I feel like it's in that sweet spot of um, what it's, what it's doing in that state you're trying to, to tell it to go in, which, um, you know, can be, can be hard because patience is (laughs) very, very difficult. Well, especially athletic patients, like patients who, you know, I mean, I'm my sister, I took it to the extreme. So my pregnancy for, for just for context, like someone told me, don't Google when you're pregnant. So I didn't, but then I literally didn't to the point of like, my sister called me right before birth and was like, Hey, you're still going to look pregnant when the baby comes out. And I'm like, what? No, I'm not. The baby's out. It's going to instantly go back. Yeah. I'm just going to go back to what I like knew nothing. That is hilarious. Nothing. And, you know, and, and I knew, I thought I knew better, right. I had an arrogance about me at the time. Uh, it's, which is now it's, you know, thank God for it because I learned so much. Right. Or I was like, Oh no, everything's going to be, I mean, the stuff I did when I was pregnant, just thank God humans are resilient is all I can say. I know it's incredible. (laughs) I I feel like it's just so incredible. And what I've, what's been fun for me is I've got this group of women um, that I've been working with and it's been really fun to share my story along with them and just over the years looking back over that like sharing the seven month update and the 10 month update and I had a big change at 15 months I quit Mm -hmm. breastfeeding at like Mm -hmm. 13 14 months and at 15 months I had a big change in my body and so it was incredible to see that and that lasting effect of breastfeeding I think it's three feedings a day um, your hormones or where your hormones kind of drop off. But for me, it was, I could still make milk come out like a year postpartum after I quit breastfeeding. Oh, my sister. Like, too. I, like, I was like, I had a two-year-old and I was like, I can still make milk come out. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I could be one of those milkmaids. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, yeah, but I felt, too. I felt a change after I could quit making milk come out. You know, mm-hmm. like, well, cause the only way I could tell is like somebody's kid would be crying and I get that letdown feeling and I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> like, I know what that feeling is. <laughs> so when that finally stopped, I felt like another change. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. You know, gosh, it's just interesting over the years. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So what would you say are your, some of your biggest lessons that you learned from pregnancy one going into pregnancy two that you wish that you could have told yourself back then? I get very impatient. 
with most things. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh yes, the human condition. I want that now. I want to do that now. <laughs> I want to do it now. And so I think if I could go back and tell my my former self to just be more patient and back off quicker, and you know what, getting a little bit out of shape will be fine. And you don't have to do everything, and you can, you know, cut back and take things more easy and not try to, you know, be superhuman postpartum as well. Like I worked a lot postpartum and, you know, that was stressful. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was stressful. (laughs) But but when you're in the mix of it, you just don't see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is that, were were you working postpartum first and second or just first? Oh, both. Both. (laughs) Yeah. I also think that people have a very, are a little bit disillusioned about stress and about what stress actually feels like and that we have that we're often in the sympathetic state without even realizing it oh yeah my body gives me all sorts I have heartburn or my eye twitches or I have stomach pain and it's just like oh those are all stress related all right I need to do nothing for a little while and cut back and get rid of some of these symptoms I'm also curious about your bedridden just circling back to that. I wasn't on complete bed rest. I was on do not bring on contractions, which meant I would go to work and just sit on like a exercise ball and (laughs) direct people and do a tiny bit of manual therapy very carefully um, from a seated position. I like move the table down too. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was, I was very careful with that. I couldn't walk to the back of a grocery store because I'd walk to the back of the grocery store, I would get contractions. So I could do, I wasn't on bed rest, bed rest. So I think that is much more challenging um, emotionally, but I was on, you know, do not do bring on contractions and absolutely no sex until you're ready to have the baby, which was magical. We had sex and then she was born that night. Oh, my doctor was right because we were like, okay, I think we could have a baby now. It's right before Thanksgiving. Our family is coming and 37 weeks. (laughs) You know, it's, I, my husband would probably die if he knew I was about to share this, but I'll go. Who cares? He never listens to the podcast. And if he does, he'll, he'll, he'll be like, what you said that. Um, but we, it was my pelvic, the tightness in my pelvic floor was so excruciating, even during birth that it was like penetration ended like first trimester. Yeah. You poor thing. Cause it was like, Oh my gosh. Oh, my and, I was ter- and then it was almost nine months after. And it was like horrible oh. because I would be screaming in the shower, like, this is worse than labor. And he'd be like, you <laughs> cannot understand. You you can't imagine how horrible that is to hear. Oh, that would be so horrible to hear for guy. <laughs> he was probably so upset. Oh my gosh. It was like, I I was like, we teach abstinence by talking about this. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And that's when your public floor PT needs to be your BFF. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was, it was, it was amazing. It it feels so long ago, but also not really. It's only, you know, seven years. Yeah. But it, but stuff like that really sticks with you. My, I had, I had prodromal labor with my second Mm-hmm. which meant like he was just not coming out, but I was having really bad contractions. And so mm-hmm. I was like, let's have sex twice a day. That's going to get this baby out. And finally, after like a week, my husband's like, we're done. I can't have sex with you again. I got to wait. I need a break. <laughs> I was like, it's going to work. 
it's gonna work today. I mean, I was up like all night. I was I was going nuts. This was awful. Finally, I went and bought castor oil, and then it was and everything it was done. Was I went into labor that day. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, there's just payment, so much. Right? <laughs> it's so much stuff that I wish that we had known back then. Yes. Like there, I mean, it's just I still feel like there's just. I still feel that there's so much that is available to women that they just don't realize. Yes. They don't, yes. they just don't realize what's possible for them. Mm-hmm. Well, you now know, that we've so- shared all of our personal intimate details, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> hopefully our husbands don't listen to this. <laughs> oh my gosh. My, cl- you know, listen, my clients are used to me talking crazy, so they're not, they're going to be all right. <laughs> I just, but, you know, you know, I love teaching for a living and I just feel like if you can't relate to people, it just is so hard to learn from them. It just makes it so much easier when it's the relatable. I, I, to- I absolutely agree. And I also will remember those moments too of of, and I think this is really important for personal trainers specifically is that they often are the first line of defense. Like moms don't like, I remember going through that experience and I'm like, I am surrounded by professionals and I don't know what to do. I'm like, this is no one's ever talked about this before. And I'm not about to Google, you know, this because God, only God knows. My vagina is too tight. That's going to bring some good stuff. I'm not about to Google like higher pain. Okay. (laughs) Oh goodness. Right. You're in a good place. If you can laugh about it now, like that is a good place. I I mean, I can now, but I mean, back then I couldn't back then it was like, I feel this was worse than being a teenager of like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? And now- <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> oh, and, and for everybody listening, it's 10 30 in the morning. We are not drinking. <laughs> oh, I, know. Oh, I, know. I know. But you know, so so oftentimes like nobody, no one wants to talk about this stuff. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's like what are moms supposed to do? And so I'm curious, you know, since you do work with a lot of professionals, what are some of the beds that you gave us some really great, like family history stuff. What are some of the other questions that you are usually asking and, and encouraging coaches to ask their clients? So the number one thing I have found is what I've already been demonstrating. The more comfortable you are about talking about pelvic floor issues, the more comfortable they will be with sharing. So it is, I mean, I feel like this is especially, I think that probably most of the male trainers listening, so I turn it off by now, but (laughs) I I feel like, I feel like there is this, uh, like male trainers feel like they can't talk about it or it's uncomfortable, but there's plenty of male doctors. There's tons of male obese. So I feel like they need to think about that with their uncomfortable level and realize it's them. It's not being male because um, there's plenty of male healthcare providers that are completely comfortable talking about this and plenty of females that are comfortable talking to males. Um, so I think the more comfortable and professional meeting the person where they're at, you know, you, we read personality types for a living. We know the person we can joke around with. We know the person we can't. Um, that's part of, I feel like, especially being a personal trainer, um, the, your job is, is reading people. 
And so I think that would be my number one advice is just bring it up, have a conversation about it, share something personal if you feel comfortable, because then that opens that door for that person to be like, you know what, I experienced that too, or I am experiencing this. Do you know anything about it? Can somebody help me? And so I feel like that is, and if you're a male trainer, maybe telling a story about your wife um, Mm -hmm. or um, just say, I took this course and I learned X, Y, Z. I am passionate about making sure women get the help they need. And this is a very important topic we don't talk about enough. And then they can maybe share a couple of things they learned in the course. Like these are some interesting things that I learned about, um, you know, female anatomy and weightlifting and where we need to be careful. And then all of a sudden, maybe she feels comfortable. Like, you know what? I do have to pee before I, we do box jumps. Like that's something I, and that's another thing you notice you pick up on, like where she's like, oh, let me run go pee every time before this exercise. Then you might be thinking, okay, well, maybe there's a problem there um, that could be helped. Um, so you can look at clues because people aren't always going to be truthful and they're going to think it's normal or common. I mean, I feel like there's been enough publicity of incontinence in a way that's normalized it to where I feel like women aren't seeking help now because it's been so normalized Oh yeah. Um, that I almost feel like that in a way is good and bad, you know, it's uh, good for it to be comfortable to talk about, but bad because, you know, seeking help is um, we don't want it to just be normal. You have to live with it, you know? Uh, but. I mean, I, scary mommy always comes to mind because she's always joking about her mm-hmm. pelvic floor incompetent in, in uh, her pelvic floor incompetence. And I'm like, no, no, no. And then yet makes the stance for alcohol because you know, mommy wine time. Right. And I get yeah. like, it's not to criticize. It's just to acknowledge that, that, whenever and it's so important that that if you have the law of polarity there's going to be really good and really bad in terms of you know people need to joke about it in order to talk mm-hmm. about it but then it makes it seem like oh this is normal so that when you're working with the mom who's maybe five years postpartum leaking she's like oh well that's just I have to live with that yeah yeah exactly you know? so bringing up having a topic about that maybe even stating what you just stated perfect mm-hmm. open that door and yeah. it shows you're passionate. It shows you have, you know, maybe even, um, so in my pregnancy and postpartum course, we have handouts, mm-hmm. um, for coaches to hand out and checklists and things like that. So it just, yeah, I find that there are ways if you can get creative, I mean, you read people for a living. So mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. the more comfortable you get, then the more comfortable other people will be with you talking about it. And I also really love that you brought up the fact that it's so important to recognize that you don't always have to be the avatar of the person that you're serving. That yes. male trainers, mm-hmm. they need, or, or even females who've never, or women who've never had babies. Like there's a whole, you don't have to be yes. the avatar in order to help them. Yes. And, and we I, go back to the medical profession for that as yes. well. Like nobody in medicine feels that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know for me too, that, that, when I, when I went back to work and when I went back to working out, like, I didn't want to talk about my kids. Yeah. I didn't want to, I was you like, you have no. a life outside your children. Let's get your <laughs> That is another touchy topic. But yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't always want to be in an environment with someone that, you know, had to be me. I wanted to be like, I, diversity is actually a, one of my core values. I go, I go to the climbing gym and I literally climb with like 20 year old guys mm-hmm. and yeah. I don't think they have any idea of children. 
it's, <laughs> it's, it's just nice to be around people where not everything, not my whole world does not revolve around children, yes. but you know, that's to each of them. Cause I just, I admire the women that can have their whole world revolve around children. Cause I don't think I could, it would be very, well, it was very difficult over the pandemic. It almost broke me, but that's a whole different topic. <laughs> oh my, I mean, me too. I mean, I was a stay at home mom for nine months. And then I used to yell at my husband being like, you get to go to work and it's vacation. Yeah. And he'd be like, I'm going to work. I'm like, you're going on vacation. You can never complain <laughs> about work being stressful. <laughs> yeah. I have to, you know, and now like as they're getting older, I have to check myself because I can have these conversations when they're not in the house, but mm-hmm. if they're in the house, then they're like, mommy hates us. So I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. One day you will understand. I love you very much. <laughs> just like you need your alone time oh my gosh I know I just think that you know and you you mentioned this earlier and I think it's just so important to reiterate that your your mom clients that you're working with or that your mom clients specifically like this is their they they need this time for their Mm -hmm. mental sanity then if you can make them laugh a little bit with a good story it's even better I just I love the difference between personal training and physical therapy and I love the environment of personal training and how it doesn't have to be so serious and I took a lot of that from my personal training days into my work as a PT and had an out-of-pocket pay practice And I feel like connecting with people helped it excel more than not connecting and which would be a typical clinic, you know, hospital setting where you're kind of filing people in and out. So good. So good. And so to that extent, I'm care, you know, and we, we kind of gave some examples earlier about, you know, some, some things to be keeping in mind when it comes to recommending a professional. So what are some of the things that a strength and conditioning coach could be, you know, aware of when they are recommending a a pelvic floor professional? Like what are some of the questions? What are some of the things that they need to be keeping in mind that their clients need to specifically ask? Mm, So for, if they're worried about prolapse and they're worried about specific lifts, have them find a pelvic floor PT that is comfortable feeling internally during that movement. So like get on the floor, do squats. Like if you have a comfortable pelvic floor PT, they will let the patient get up off the table. Um, So I think that can be important because a lot of women have that question. Like I feel fine when I'm on my back, but when I do lunges or I do squats, I feel like I'm bearing down. And so having somebody check and then helping teach them to check can be very helpful. Um, So making sure if there are somebody high level and they do have questions in different positions, just finding a pelvic floor PT that's comfortable with that. Um, I would also maybe investigate a little bit on how much they kind of buy into the whole kinetic chain. I mean, because there are still some old school PTs around that are like Kegels, nothing but Kegels. And you know, as somebody who experienced tightness, that can be very bad if it's not a good fit oh <laughs> right in your face right now. It's hilarious. I, I mean, oh my God, I can't even like, and again, like this is not even my doctor. It was like from watching television and it's like, mm-hmm. you, you just don't know what you don't know. And I didn't even think to ask like, Hey, are Kegels bad? Yeah. But they probably they gave the you worst. a handout too. They probably <sighs> gave you a handout that said, do Kegels postpartum. <laughs> 
Like I remember, I mean, there's a Sex in the City episode that comes to mind with Samantha specifically, where she's literally teaching. Like the whole episode is like how to do a Kegel, and I'm just like kicking myself, but it's okay, it's okay. You learn, you learn. <laughs> right. As I told my eight year old, when we were talking about, it, she corrected me on something, and she's like, "You're wrong, mommy." Ha ha ha. It's like the highlight of her life. But I was like, you know what? I am proud to be wrong because being wrong means I'm changing. It means I'm growing. It means I'm becoming a better person. Like if you're never wrong, you're never growing as a person. And what does that say about you? I think that's horrible and scary and awful. So I was like, where does a badge of honor when you're wrong? Just know you're getting better. Oh, that is so, that is so powerful. I mean, and so true. I mean, I have no problems just... with being like, oh, I gave people that advice. Oh, that was horrible. I'm sorry, people 10 years ago. Oh my gosh, me too. I, I can't even <laughs> tell you how many times I go back and go, oh, I've learned a lot in 10 years. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's what, I mean, I laugh now because, you know, back then too, when, when you're, you know, new and when you're learning, it can sometimes that in my, for me, at least I'll speak to me is that, that it was just a, a band-aid for covering up my own insecurity of wanting well, to just so black and white, you know, yes. don't let knees go over toes. Don't ever run your lumbar spine. What am I missing? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Never, never do never, you know, you're I mean, just, I can't, I can't, the, the list goes on and on, okay. but, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm the willing list and learn, I just think is so important. And then also to remember too, that we have to keep repeating and going back. And there's a difference between learning it once and studying it mm-hmm. and that things are going to change and that it's an, and that you can have more than one certification. Like it's just, yes, and you need yes. more than one because you need people's differing opinions on how to approach topics. And from every person, you're going to take something away that's then going to be able to, you're going to be able to assimilate that and make it your own. And then the more you do of that, the more you're going to develop your own style, your own approach. So that's just very diverse and unique. And I think it's, it's great. I I love learning. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Me too. Me too. So, you know, as you continue to grow, like what are some of the, you know, educational sources that you are always going back to? So I read a ton of primary research, Mm. a lot of primary research. Like I spent two hours yesterday reading studies. Oh my gosh. Thank Uh, God you do it. So we don't have to. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So yeah. So I was was looking at something with the diaphragm yesterday and then it led me down this whole giant rabbit hole of research and catching up. And I was like, where was that? And when I found new things and it's just, you know, so I I learn a lot. Um, I learn a lot that way. I've taken a lot of PRI classes um, as I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have PRI is amazing. I love the way that's what I mean by somebody's genius, like Ron's brain. And then, so I do a little bit of teaching on helping people understand, like, let's make this really simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I also think that coaches, which t- just a little different back to coaches. I also think that coaches need to be able to help women with low level pelvic floor issues, because I know a lot of women that refuse to go to pelvic floor PT. And I get really upset with the, um, what's the right word here? Um, when professions are too like, oh, that's my thing. You can't do that at all. Don't you dare check for a diastasis. Don't you do blah, blah, blah. Like that's only my thing. And I, that makes me very upset because I feel like there's just a lot of gray, a whole lot of gray. I mean, obviously there's definitely stuff that's physical therapy related and there's definitely stuff that's training related. 
But I feel like in the middle, there can be a lot of gray overlap. Mm -hmm. And you could maybe have an orthopedic PT that doesn't know enough to help somebody with pelvic floor issues that maybe a trainer actually is better at Mm -hmm. help somebody. Um, And I just feel like I've talked to so many women that don't want to go to public floor PT, they're uncomfortable, or they don't think their issues bad enough. Like I have a little bit of leaking. So what? I'm not going to public floor PT for that. So now you've got this coach who needs to deal with it because Mm -hmm. that's their client. They want to make their life better. Mm -hmm. And if they just learn a little bit, wow, they could change that person's life. You know, so I feel like there's just a lot of gray in there and um, overlap. And I feel like coaches can do a whole lot to help women, not just refer out. Oh, I think that's so great. And I also, you know, we see this a lot in, in medical professionals. Like I'll see a doctor recommend something nutrition, you know, or I'll hear someone uh, say, oh, my doctor said something for nutrition. And I'm like, wait, you've had like one semester on that. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and you don't get to be the authority on that, but that's an assumed authority well, because you're a doctor. Taken a lot of courses in it. And that was their area of passion and yeah. You know, so I I do feel like there are some good doctors that understand nutrition, but I know for sure, for sure, for sure. It's not like a blink. I think that that at the end of the day, it's the, it's everything is mostly a shade of gray. Yeah. Nothing is black and white. And it really just, once you start building your team of professionals that for, for the client, that's just going to help them change their life. And I think it it has to be black and white. If you can't admit when you're wrong. Yes. Yes. (laughs) yes but you know your eight-year-old shared with us today <laughs> it's okay to be wrong it's good to be wrong <laughs> yeah it's good Enjoy to be it. wrong embrace it's good it to be wrong all right sarah i definitely want to be very mindful and respectful of your time so thank you so much for pouring in to us today so for those of you who want to learn more about your certification learn more about working with you what are some of the best places that i can send them Oh, I feel like there's, we should scratch the surface. Let's talk for another hour. I know, right? (laughs) I have a lot of free resources, um, which are great to check out on my website, Core Exercise Solutions. But if you just Google Sarah Duvall PT, it'll also pop up. Um, So tons of articles. I've got a six-part mini course that is completely free uh, that just is packed full of information. So I highly recommend checking that out. Uh, okay cool and i'll be sure to link all that up in the show notes thanks so much this was so much fun it was so fun thank you thank you for listening to the pt profit podcast if you like this episode chances are your friends will too so it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.